Welcome, this is Afro Leads, the podcast. As you know, Afro Leads consists of two sisters, myself, Steph, and my sister, Julie. And we are on a mission to promote Black British business and culture. At present, we have multiple social media platforms. Our most dominant is the Instagram platform at Afro underscore Leads, where we post positive features about Black businesses, groups, communities, celebrities, music, and so much more. Today, we are joined by Mr. Daryl Edwards. He's one of our Men Crush Mondays and definitely was some Monday motivation when we posted about him. So also known as the Fitness Explorer, Daryl is a certified personal trainer, nutritionist, international speaker, award-winning best-selling author and movement and health coach, to name but a few strings to his very impressive bow. Over 10 years ago, he started to develop his holistic approach to health when making lifestyle changes to improve his own health. In doing so, he discovered the joy of movement and play and has developed unique ways to inspire people regardless of age, ability or disability to transform their health by making physical activity fun and engaging and part of the everyday. A former investment banking technologist, Daryl has written several books including Paleo Fitness, Paleo from A to Z and Animal Moves, which I have here. Starting reading. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. The latter has been transformed into handy card decks for the home, office and children as the Fitness Explorer is on a mission to change lives through the power of primal movement and active play. Primal play is the platform through which Daryl's brought a focus on fun, functional and challenging movement that can be adapted for all and encourages adults to give themselves permission to play. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Judy. That was a great introduction. It's... um... (laughs) I'm, I'm in, whoever that person was you were talking about I'm really impressed <laughs> <laughs> welcome yeah as you says welcome it's an honor to have you on the podcast when we posted about you had such a lot of engagement from young and old which is always a fantastic sign that what you're wanting to achieve and your objectives are, are totally hitting the mark which is amazing and, and we had lots of people said like it was a an easy follow as well so it's sort of oh. win-win for our side which is great that's great thank you thanks for the support Anytime. Um, so, as I was saying, we're obviously big fans. We're really excited to have the conversation with you. We've got loads of prepped questions, except so can we just jump straight in and dive into the questions? Is that okay? Yep, let's do it. Let's do it. So, it was actually my sister who was the person that was like, oh, we need to do this guy. And I was like, oh my God, this is Daryl the Amazing. And obviously, when we do the um, initial investigation and research on any of our posts, etc., the, the majority of stuff that we find is about the, the achievements and the, the, your journey more currently. So, the, the exercise of fitness stuff that you've done now I suppose from our side we were really wanting to know what a young Daryl was like so you're of Jamaican heritage is that right that's correct yes what was it like growing up in your household um yeah so I was kind of first generation black British my parents well my grandparents came on both sides maternal and paternal grandparents came in the 50s and my parents came as teenagers and in 1970 I was born and interestingly for me I had a very traditional Jamaican upbringing in England (laughs) so pretty much home life was Jamaica once a week we'd have English food which probably be a Friday which would be fish and chips usually (laughs) and then once I started going to school is where I suppose I would learn a lot more about other cultures. So there was certainly a, a melting pot aspect to my upbringing, which was really fascinating. And being aware of many cultures early on was something that I think has kind of informed my approach even today. So in terms of my, I suppose, my expectations and my aspirations, pretty much the first thing my mother probably said to me out of the womb was, you're going to be Dr. Edwards. That, that's <laughs> 
out of the womb. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm pretty certain that's you're going to be Dr. Edwards. And certainly as far as I can remember, when I was about three or four years old, I certainly expressed my desire to be a doctor. And I remember asking for books, you know, human biology, you know, whatever I could ask at, four, at three, four years old. But I, I learned to read very, very early, which is also interesting because I pretty much learned to speak when I was about three years old. So I was, a, <laughs> it took me a long time to talk. It took me a long time to, to walk. So my parents were quite concerned about my development. But as soon as I started speaking and reading, I had like reading age of an eight-year-old when I was four, you know, like, wow. and I was just absorbing all this information. And I was like, I want to know everything I can about the human body and about science. And so that was my kind of trajectory. And at 11, I, I passed my 11 plus and I went to grammar school and I was the only kid in my, in my junior school that passed. And, and it was just remarkable that happened for me. And so I went from, again, this melting multi-part environment of junior school and primary school and, and where I where I lived to a grammar school which was nothing like where I came from. So, you know, 99% of the, of the pupils were white and there were very few of ever heritages. And I, there was a lot of racism faced pretty much on day one of me attending school. And I remember coming home and saying, you know, mom, dad, look, this is what happened to me on my, you know, my first day at school. Actually, it's my second day at school. So the first day at school, it was just the first years. Then in the second day, the older pupils joined and then it was just, I just remember getting all this abuse. And I was like, I don't understand what, why is this happening to me? What have I done? You know, I've never really faced this before. And so, yeah, my parents had, we had a pretty frank discussion about this is, this is just a start. This is not the end. This is the start of your journey. This is what's going to continue to happen. Let us tell you what's happened to us when we came here what, we, what happened to us during our employment or trying to find work, what happened to your grandparents when they came here in terms of trying to, to get property and all the, all, I had all of that backstory. Um, How old were you when you had that so, conversation? So um, the re I suppose the real, let's get right down into the weeds <laughs> around 10 or 11. So I went to grammar school at 11. So that was when I had the, that real in-depth discussion and certainly there was discussions beforehand because there'd be something on tv or there'd be certainly other discussions about the, our heritage and you know why we were in the caribbean <laughs> you know why we're now in the uk so we, there was certainly a cultural significance to many of the conversations we had and i went to saturday school so there was a lot of of, of education about black history which is really good to have actually <laughs> as a bit of a buffer from the onslaught of racism that occurred. So yeah, I, I, I suppose moving fast forwarding on from that, I remember then kind of disappointing my mother when I realized I had far more interest in technology and computers than the human body. And it was, that was so difficult, such a difficult conversation to say, mom, you know what, you know, yeah, university, yeah, but computer science, not, not biological science is not medicine. So that was really difficult. And, and I think she never, she never quite got over the fact I didn't become a doctor, even though I became so successful. I remember many years later saying, mom, look, you know, I'm working for a bank and I'm making so much money. And I, I worked for Microsoft for a while. I was like, look, I'm just, be, you know, I'm doing so well, far, far more successful than if I'd been a doctor. And she's still kind of like, yeah, but you're still not a doctor. So <laughs> <still> not, <laughs> you know, 
still not doctor. <laughs> to play, so, to please. <laughs> yeah. In, in terms of my parents' expectations, you know, my mother's was always proud of me mm-hmm. and, and what, I, what I achieved. And, and I think, as I mentioned recently on my social media, coming from very humble beginnings, coming from a background where expectations were very low. So, so pretty much my peers, there were not many opportunities. You know, most of my most of my friends at an early age at 16, the expectation was you'd be on an apprenticeship on YTS, as it was called back then. And you'd probably be doing manual labor, working in a factory. That pretty much was the expectation for, for many of the people that I that I was living with. Unemployed, long-term unemployment, you know, manual labor. That was pretty much the expectation. So my mother was a key driving force to say, no, 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 no. That's not the expectation for you. You can do whatever you set your mind to. You can do whatever you want to. Like, really? Is that really possible? Yes. And thank goodness I had that belief because there were many times that I thought, actually, you know what? I can't do this. This is too difficult Mm -hmm. for me. Maybe there are easier ways out to making more money. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe there's something else that I can do which isn't this difficult. But fortunately, there was some staying parents and some self-determination. And I suppose staying within this theme and talking about racism, that racism continued into once I started working. So that was also, you know, I remember going to university thinking, oh, I'm for the first time, I'm, I'm just being assessed on the work that I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just being marked. I'm getting good marks. That's it. <laughs> you know, isn't this incredible? Yeah doing really well, maybe that's what will happen when I enter the workforce. Surely that's going to happen. And unfortunately, it didn't. That wasn't mm. the case. And so the first time I started attending interviews and sometimes over the telephone and you you have a success, a successful telephone interview, mm. pretty much the, the job's yours. It's a formality. Come into the office and we'll start, you know, we'll sign the paperwork. And then you get to the office and it's like, oh, so, so, you're, <laughs> so you're Mr. Edwards. Um, right. Did we say there was a job ready to start right away? Um, no, there's, there's, a, there's some miscommunication, there's a misunderstanding. Uh, you know, we don't quite think you'd fit in, you know. So those are sort of situations that happened. And then I was like, what was the point in me getting these qualifications and me trying to carve out this career when I can't get, I can't get a job? You know, I'm, I'm really, really struggling to find work. And I, I remember taking some work that was probably half the amount of money I should have been paid just so I could get some experience. And I remember my boss at the time telling me, don't ever expect to make that sort of money. Because I'd, I'd have conversations with, you know, trying to get pay rises saying, look, I'm doing this work. And, you know, I should be getting paid more. <sighs> Daryl, do you really think you're worth, you're worth that? Do you really think that's, that's achievable, possible for you? If it was, that's what you'd be getting paid. So, of course, the good thing about those conversations was I was like, I'm so determined to make sure <laughs> that I will get the, the work and the job that I, I expect, you know. And that happened. And it happened within the organization I was with, which was even better because she was, she was visible. She had visibility of this, of me having that promotion. I was actually promoted above her within that organization. Yes. And I remember saying, <laughs> yes, this, this is vindication. Of, yeah. of that so yes so I mean I could stay on that topic for for quite some time and uh, because because of my age sometimes people will say to me well that was back then you know times were a lot worse then right in the 80s and the 90s and you know we've we've moved on significantly and certainly um things did get better I can't you know I can't say 
that was certainly not the same as when I started in the early 90s. N no, but the it still existed. Of course, I still of course. witnessed. I still witnessed it. It became more covert, and there were certainly situations that I can kind of I laugh and joke about sometimes now, thinking about oh my gosh that that actually happened like that. I remember all of these situations, and I'll and I'll speak to other people in similar situations to myself, and they'll go yeah 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 I can <laughs> that's happened to me on, on several occasions, and, and there's almost this commonality, this common experience of it wasn't just me. It's not just my imagination. Yeah. You know, there is this feeling where you go, I can't read, can it read, was it really that? Mm -hmm. Actually, I know it was. There's no yeah. other reason as to why I'm being treated differently. Yeah. And just before I left that, the world of banking, investment technology and banking, I suppose I just realized I wanted to take charge of my own life. A big part of that was my health was me taking charge of my health and thinking if I'm this successful, but all I get out of it is a, is a heart attack or, you know, yeah. or long-term stress or end up with type two diabetes because I'm, you know, of all the things, all my unhealthy lifestyle practices, it's not worth it. So let me see what I can do now to take charge of my life, to take charge of my health. And then realizing it wasn't just a selfish ambition. It was like, I want to be able to help other people improve their health and vitality as well mm -hmm. without saying it's about having lots of access to money and resources and all of the things that sometimes we're told we need to achieve that improvement in health. We sold all of these magic potions and sometimes it's just going back to basics, like the simplest of, of things that our bodies need and desire to maintain good health and vitality. That's what we should be drawn to. And mm -hmm. that's what we should be communicating it doesn't sell that well, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so I ha I've learned a few lessons along the way, but integrity was an important part of my mission. Yeah. I didn't yeah. want to deceive people or confuse people. Wanted to obviously sustain a living from this, but it was always easier for me to go back to what I did before if it was just about money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I could make far more money in a week of what I was doing than many, many months, <laughs> you know, of what I'm doing now. So I'm happy that I had that experience and that contrast mm -hmm. because my values changed. As soon as I started thinking about the health of myself and others, those close to me, you know, my family and my friends, as well as the wider audience. Yeah. You, and yeah. Your integrity definitely shines through and it's genuine. And, you know, you talk about your kind of your first client is you. You've lived this. It's not just something that you have thought up and tested on other people. You experienced it, and it shows. Mm. And you've it, that consistency um, of, of your journey with this, and and how you've developed it, and incorporated it, and, and kind of adapted it for, for different people to adopt it. it. That completely shines through. Absolutely. And oh, thank um, you. You you've shared so many fascinating insights into kind of your background and what's led you to this point because you were born in London weren't you and I think it's interesting mm. that you said that you're both your parents came here when they were teenagers so they have they lived they've experienced black excellence living in a nation of black excellence before coming over and almost being kind of beaten down by like do you know what I mean? did you think that was maybe what drove your mum to express um, her expectation for you would be higher than what 
other people around you were told perhaps because their parents or even grandparents had been born here so they'd been maybe beaten down a bit more by life yeah I, I think it's unfortunate for like my parents my grandparents they came here they're previously farmers my grandparents or well grandparents on father's side and interestingly when they came to, to England and people weren't willing to let them property right because back then it was you know, no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Those are the signs that they would have been welcome to. My grandparents very quickly, you know, saved lots of money. There were 20 people in the property. They, you know, they did something called a partner, which is like yeah. how yeah. they basically saved money as a community because banks wouldn't lend them money, yeah. right? So they did things like that to buy property. So when I was a toddler, my grandparents already owned their own home and other property that they were let, renting out to other Jamaicans and other people from the Caribbean. I also still had a reference of, of I suppose, entrepreneurship mm-hmm. that my grandparents had. And my grandparents went back, went back to Jamaica and kind of retired there. And they extended the land that they had and, and you know, um, gave property to all of their children. And there's eight of them. So a lot of, a lot of children. So... I suppose there was always something about, okay, even with the difficulties, there's still there were still many possibilities. Mm-hmm. And there was still the hard work ethic that they had that they passed down to their children. I think for, for my for my father, he was a little bit older. So he he came in his late teens, my mother in her early teens. So she experienced the British school system. My father was on the farm. And back in those, I don't say back in those days, but the, the choice my grandparents made in terms of education, my father was a second born. So the, the eldest basically received the education. My father left school at a very young age, like, you know, pre 10 years old. Um, my uncle, who his older brother, he was very successful. You know, he went to college, he came to college here in the UK. He set a business here in the UK. He's, he migrated to the US, set up a really big business out there. Very successful. My father didn't have any of those opportunities. Couldn't really struggle to read and write, for example. He worked on the farm. That was his job. And so that was, that was their experience when they came to the UK. My father struggling to find work, you know, doing odd jobs as a carpenter and a mechanic and just whatever he could to make money. My mother, she experienced... Um, the limitations of the educational system back then because she wanted, she had lots of aspirations. Many of her extended family were, you know, in medicine. So we have, there were doctors, generations above above her, lots of nurses and the like. And so she's like, I can do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. And at school, she was told, no, you can't. I want to become a teacher. Mm, No, 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 no. Maybe a secretary. You know, maybe that's as far as it can go. Well, could I, maybe I could do become no 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 you can't. So she, her lessons, the lessons that she had, certainly informed me about these are the challenges you're going to have. You're going to be told you can't do something, oh not because of your ability, but because of the color of your skin. Like really, and of course I was like no, can't you know that was then, mom. That was in your day. It's going to be different now. But of course it wasn't different. It was it was it was a subtle shift, but you it was still problematic. And for my father, he was like, look, if I, I struggling to read and write, and fortunately he learned, I don't want to say fortunately, but he learned to read and write in his 50s. You know, <laughs> you know. That's amazing. You know, now, yeah, it's incredible. Now he's quoting, you know, 
Bible passages and like, <laughs> and like oh, how, did you learn? So how did you learn that? So, so you know, again, it, it, you can achieve whatever you wish to, you set your mind to. And, but I certainly remember thinking to myself, I do want a better life yep. than my parents. Mm -hmm. I do want an easier life than my parents. And if my grandparents and my parents had obstacles in their way, they still managed to find a way to navigate those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So surely I can do the same too. Yeah. And I think my parents, my mother especially, was very much like, you have an advantage having access to this educational system. Mm -hmm that's free, that if you work hard enough and you're going to have to work harder than you should, twice as hard than your peers, but mm -hmm. if you do that, you're likely to be successful. It will never be in vain. So I that was, that. yeah, that was valuable. It will never be in vain. And certainly when I achieved whatever I did and I left and made the decision to leave and many times regretting that decision, like, am I doing the right thing? Am I, you know, this is, this is difficult now. This is tough. There are times where money is a problem when it never used to be, <laughs> you know, and I, there's so many things I can't do and I, and I downsize significantly, but the reward which comes about by having the freedom mm -hmm. to do what you want to do, to make the mark that you want to make, to be able to pretty much craft your journey in life. That is, oh, I, I can't explain how fulfilling that is, I have no boss, no one telling me what I have to do when I have to do it. I set my deadlines. I, you know, <laughs> yeah, I pretty much can do whatever I want to do, you know, as long as I'm not harming anyone, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as long as it's not illegal, but I can pretty much do whatever I want to do. How powerful is, is that ability? And I think that's what I realized is a true lesson that came from my grandparents, that came from my parents is that you can have that freedom to do what you want or being able to, to say to somebody who's telling you, no, you can't, mm -hmm. why, why not? Let me prove you wrong. And I think most of my life has been, let me try to prove that person wrong. Let me try to show them that I am the best in the team, yeah. that, I am, that I am invaluable to this organization, that I can I be you know, yeah. So many people will be able to either really relate to that or wish they had your mum's kind of supporting mechanism because I think there's so many stories where black people in the UK have had obstacles and have been told no and have been limited mm. and depending on the mindset and the strength of that character either have a positive influence on their children or it can be quite self-destructive in terms of that family environment and look you know your yes. mum sounds absolutely incredible she channeled that and turned that into your biggest weapon really that that integrity yeah. of yourself and that power yes. and that fire inside you whereas you hear so many yes. stories where that hasn't been the case don't you yeah and it's and to be honest it's really difficult because it wasn't easy for me and, yeah. and you know and I, and I don't really want to color the the conversation mm. with, with, with the things that weren't didn't go so well but but it was very, very difficult. It wasn't an easy path. And, and I would certainly say for most people, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what your heritage, for most people, the, the influence of your peers and your environment are far more powerful than what your parents tell you mm -hmm. at five years old. So most of us do get a similar message. You know, work hard at school, do well, behave yourself. Most of us get the same message. Um, um, unfortunately, there's systemic racism there's institutionalized racism uh, you know there are there are things that we can't overcome 
just based on I will do whatever I can to be successful or whatever. That's not enough, unfortunately. And so if you have lots of obstacles in your way, you can see why people say enough's enough. You know what? I will take on the stereotype. If you're telling me this is what I am, then I'll, this is what I'll do. This is what I'll yeah. be. What choice is there? I look around me. What are all the people that I, that I know? What are they doing? Okay. Why wouldn't I adopt that? And so that's really, that is so difficult. And I wish I had an easy, an easy answer for that. There isn't one. You have to. And again, even with my mother, I remember having a great conversation with my mother once. And she said to me, it's only because she's like, because I had that conversation with you. That's why, you know, you are the person you are. And I, and I said to her, and that was when I was old enough not to be concerned about the retaliation. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, you know, I had to act upon that. You know, I remember having that conversation with myself saying, you know what, Daryl, this is what you need to do. Your voice was not the, the, the overriding voice. And I think for many people, they have to get to the position where they say, it doesn't matter about my circumstances. I have to do what I set out to do as difficult as it can be. And there were times I was in tears at contemplating, I just can't do this. I was at, I remember being at university once thinking, I cannot cope with this work. I will not, I'm not good enough. I, I will not, I'm going to fail. I'm not going to pass. And I, you know, and I remember speaking to my sister about it and I was like, oh, I'm in tears. You know, I mean, I'm, and I'm the eldest brother. I'm like, she's probably the first time she's seen me cry apart from when I was a lot younger. And I was like, oh, I can't do this. Why am I doing this? What's the point? I'm going to quit. And she said to me, she said, you always say that. You always, <laughs> you always say it's difficult, but then you're just going to, you're going to get your A grades. And, and I'm like, nah, sis, you don't understand. This is, I'm really struggling. <laughs> but Again, that conversation was useful because it made me realize, you know what, they, what she's saying is there's some truth in that. Yeah. It's tough, but it shows that I can overcome this. I've oh. just got to work harder. I've just got to apply myself differently. I've got to think of another strategy to, to get there as difficult as it can be. And yeah, I think, I, I think probably one other thing to note about that, that I wish many more people did is um, because we didn't have much money, right? The first thing I could not wait to be able to get a paper round. I could not wait to get a Saturday job. Yeah. Could not wait to have my own money based on what, you know, what I was doing for work. And I remember my mother, you know, was kind of like, that's your money. She could have easily said, you know what, Dal, could you, you know, apportion some of that to, to me to make life better for us all. But she's like, no, 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 you worked for this. This is your money. And back then, I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna lie, that paper round, I remember that paper round I did, it was miles. That was like I was getting about half five in the morning before school <laughs> to, to, to like, you know, like the, <laughs> it was a significant distance that I had to cover. And I'm thinking, I'm only getting like three pounds a week for you know, whatever it was, like uh, you know, but I tell you what, it's you appreciate. Yeah. I appreciated the money that I had. I yeah. appreciated the ability to buy, to save. And I think for many of our children, um, and again, doesn't matter about heritage, things are a lot easier to access yeah. now. You know, we can have the shiny toys that, that many of us would have dreamt of when, yeah. as parents when we were kids. It's yeah. so accessible now. That's another conversation, but I think certainly the hard work ethic yeah. that many, many of our, have it older generation had mm -hmm. that's what 
is sometimes missing because it's like, oh, I can just click a finger yeah. and that's there. I want this for Christmas. Oh, yeah. No, Father Christmas didn't get it for you, you know, that, <laughs> you know, boom, it's there. It's like, wow. Yeah. When I was a kid, and I know my parents did so much to get presents, like broke their backs to get presents, but we appreciated it. Yeah. We really, because yeah. we knew, it's like, hold on a second, next week, there were going to be times where food is going to be scarce. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that was, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like, hold on a second. I know the struggle. You know, dad didn't get any work today, right? We're only drinking water for the rest of the week. There's no pop to drink. Mm-hmm. That's that's the reality. Yeah. So you you appreciate mm-hmm. both. You appreciate the value of work and hard work. Mm-hmm. You appreciate the challenges that are outside in your environment. You see people who, that are taking easier options, but those easy options lead one of two ways. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in jail. They pass away before their time. Yeah. You know, so in terms of the health journey, there's another thing that afflicts those of our heritage disproportionately, and it's our health outcomes. Mm-hmm. Elevated risk of type 2 diabetes, heart disease, cancer, all these things that we're kind of told, you know, BAME communities, and especially those of Afro-Caribbean, of African descent, we're way up there on the scale of increased risk of this. And some of us even almost believe that it's because of, of race, which which is ridiculous, but... Uh, you know, our, our heritage, I should say more accurately. That's why there's a genetic reason as to why we're more likely to be predisposed to those conditions. But the reality is, no, it isn't. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the environment that we're in. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's poverty, whether it's the additional stress and trauma of, of living within a yeah. certain environment. If some of our dietary choices, which again, are not always the most helpful, is the fact that we don't have access to the recreational kind of fitness that many other communities have. You know, some environments aren't safe for ch- our children to go out and play, for example. Mm. So there's, there are all of these reasons why we are at, at increased risk. And so part of the work that I do is trying to incorporate accessibility and diversity and saying these are all the things you can do without much in the way of resources yeah without much in the way of money you don't need to have extra virgin coconut (laughs) oil to achieve you know good health in the kitchen you know Mm -hmm. And, and again another great example of this was was when I was tutoring my mother on nutrition I was like mom you know you need to buy this and buy that and have more you know and I remember coming home, coming to my mother's once and she was cooking and she said, oh, you know that coconut oil you told me to buy? She was like, it's too expensive. You know, 15 pounds a jar, what kind of, you know, she's like, what? <laughs> what, you know, and she went, I'm making it myself. And I was like, how, do, you know, and I, of course, ignorant. I was like, how, how can you, what do you mean making it yourself? And she was like, yeah, she says, when I was a, a little girl, my grandmother taught me how to I do this. That. And so she made, she started making her own coconut oil. And I was just like, how many things are part of our traditional heritage that we're separate from? Yes. You know? yeah. And now we feel like it's this great wonder of a new form of cooking. Like, wow, isn't this the, the kind of nirvana of, of cooking oil? But it's always been used. And my yeah. mother was like, yeah, this is how you do it. It takes a bit of time and you got to don't have it too high. You, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she taught me through the process. And, and she was buying the like the cheapest coconuts to do it with. She's like, yeah, this is what you use. You have brown coconuts. Like, what? You, who would want to use? You know, she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Use a brown coconut. You boil it down. You just you skim it off the top. 
you let it cool and you just keep doing that that's really? coconut oil right yeah yeah that's so, amazing because yeah. <laughs> it's taking it back to as you say like your root your real roots and all these processes that haven't been valued because maybe they're not western and they're not convenient but yes. then actually they're just so healthy for us and you know you mentioned about if money was tight you'd have water not pot but actually it's probably better that you had the water not the pot yes. but not, not appreciating yeah. it for that for the health benefits <laughs> but seeing it as almost like a a punishment or you're missing out because you're not having you don't have a soda stream or something like that do you know what I mean it's uh yeah it's back to basics you know even for my mother we were literally having like a nutritional science conversation you know what are carbohydrates what what's antioxidants you know and my mom just couldn't she was like I don't understand she was, so she said avoid carbohydrates but but you're telling me to eat lots of greens aren't they carbohydrates yeah they are yeah maybe that's not the way to have this conversation so I said mom just cook and prepare more of the foods you did when we were little as we grew up and she got older she started to have microwave meals and you know like fast food and you know she was cooking. yeah convenience again so she started she went out into the back garden she planted vegetables and everything was organic because it was from her garden and the shift the difference in her mm. health because of that, not just because of the quality of the food. You know, you're having a relationship with your food. Yeah. You're growing it, you're looking after it. You know exactly where it came from. And that's amazing. And I'm like, you know, she just had these green fingers that I envy because I, I, any plant I have pretty much <laughs> doesn't last long. She had this magic touch. And again, you realize she had that connection. She was growing a lot of like Jamaican herbs in her back garden. And she said, yeah, you can use this for this. You boil this down for that. You can, I'm like, really, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, my, my blood pressure was high. I drank this and my blood pressure came down. I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's all this wisdom, yeah, this yeah. ancestral wisdom. It's incredible. We don't have like you say we appreciate more the western way of doing things mm -hmm. and isn't always to our benefit so i appreciate the fact that she still maintained that aspect of her yeah which was about her connection with her roots and with her yeah. heritage and she was still critical as well so it wasn't like everything from jamaica it was perfect and amazing she was very honest and upfront about the challenges and about the problems as well as the successes and that was also useful to me because it always kept me critical and skeptical and yeah. and to ask questions don't just accept something because somebody tells you yeah and mm. when i would speak to her about oh mom this is what you should do and she'd say well just because you're my son doesn't mean it <laughs> doesn't mean i'm gonna listen to you you know i gave birth to you yeah oh gosh we, we oh, hear that a lot as well it sounds very familiar <laughs> um, i know the um element of the sort of traditional food that you just mentioned there i had a conversation not so long ago with a friend of mine who had just turned vegan and there's there's no there's no one more passionate than somebody who's just turned to vegan really or just starting yes. a new journey yes and she said oh my god there's all these amazing new foods and have you heard of Ital and have you heard of plantain? And I just thought, you know mm. what? Like, my, you know, mm. she's followed like my brother's journey and he's been a vegan for a number of years. Yes. And, you know, the food he puts out is the, the most colourful, like, you know, a mixture of Jamaican and West African. And mm. it is all of that. It's that stripping back the whole processed food. It's going back to your roots. And yeah. I think sometimes until it is westernized and it is sometimes until it becomes quite popular and there's yeah. a celebrity that puts their name to or you know flies a flag for plantain or flies a flag for a certain type of um trend or fad or whatever that's when it mm. becomes 
you know acceptable to the masses but this same yeah, person good point is the you know the type I'm not saying she's a bad person she's amazing she's my mate but um mm. I remember having like you know African food when I was younger and it was like oh what's that smell mm. and it's like you know it's, it, it's really strange how maybe it's because yeah. of age and because we've grown and we've developed that obviously our mindsets and our mentality and maturity change but it's mm. very strange how now because it's so fashionable that you know African food and um especially Jamaican um, Ital food is so popular that it's now really acceptable to be to be quite vocal about how cool it is and all the smells are great and how great <laughs> is it that it's so natural and yeah. I find that bizarre. I mean, I'm kind of against tribalism, to be honest, for many reasons. And I think as humans, we need to do a much better job of embracing the best wherever we see it. So I think if we all did that, then we'd be less likely to, to turn our nose up, at, you know, down at something and go, oh, what's that? Oh, you know what I mean? You're more likely mm -hmm. to go, okay, what is it? Why, why is it? Let me see if it's beneficial for me or not. Because believe me, I love Jamaican food, but there's plenty of Jamaican food that I don't love. Just because <laughs> it's Jamaican doesn't mean I'm going to like it or love it, right? And I think there are healthful foods available all over the planet. Yeah. And many cultures have developed healthful foods from a cultural, from a societal, from a medicinal perspective. And so we need to be, we need to have access to all of that. Because some of the downsides are if you just rely on heritage alone and that's what's valuable, there are also very harmful decisions that are made. Like mm. if you have drink that bush, that's going to cure cancer. So rather than somebody yeah. taking sometimes the best decisions, health decisions that may involve medicine, they go, no, 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 I'm not going to, no, 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 I'm not going to trust that. I'm going to, I'm going to trust something that somebody said for you know, a few thousand years is the best thing to do. But that person still, hold on a second, those people still died of all those things that you're saying this will cure. So what are you, what are yeah. you talking? You know, there's no, the critical thinking aspect still needs to exist. And I think that's what we need to be valuing. I was introduced to ITEL and Rastafarianism when I was very young. I was raised a Seventh-day Adventist in church. My dad started growing locks. I had, again, all of these influences i suppose then we're finding out a lot more about african history so mm. there was all this kind of afrocentrism and there's all these things that you learn and, and i'm glad that i didn't stick my kind of flagpole on one of those things yeah you know like okay i'm, I'm seventh day adventist that's it <laughs> my family's done it for generations that's it or oh now i found rastafarianism okay you know i've got to drop i've got to grab my dreads now and become a rasta and that you know that's it you know, yeah. and whatever came next. So I'm happier that I had exposure to lots of different influences. And I think we need to have a pick and mix for life. Let's take a bit of that, a bit of this, a bit of the other. And even with my mother, the reason why she was an amazing cook and she became better and better and better, the best, you know, I know people, everyone says that about their mother, but in my case, it's true. <laughs> Honestly, it's true. <laughs> but it's because she, she did fusion. Mm -hmm. she, she was like, this can be better. She watched shows that had nothing to do with Caribbean cooking to get inspiration. Oh, I can do this even better. That's a better way to prepare these foods, you know? And she was as, as Jamaican as they come, <laughs> as like hardcore. But she realized, ah, oh, there were some benefits with, with her being here in, yeah. in England. Mm -hmm. 
and, yeah. and having access to the education and being able to make a shepherd's pie. My mom yeah. could make a wicked shepherd's pie and she'd bice it up and blow your head up with some scotch <laughs> on it. So I'm happy that I had that kind of hybrid and that I'm home with where we talk Patwa, but then if she's speaking to somebody who's English, she would sound like she was born here. You know, she could assimilate, but she still was true to herself and her, to her roots. And she would say whatever she wanted to say to anyone. And she would make decisions that she felt was right. And she didn't just float with the wind. So mm. I would say in terms of your friend, for example, I don't think there's anything wrong with her smelling something for the first time many years ago and going, I'm not used, I'm not accustomed to that smell. It smells mm. a bit strange. Yeah. Because think about it. If I had never been introduced to, say, jerk chicken or anything spicy, mm -hmm. and then first time, you know, and I'd only been eating kind of bland foods, I'd be mm. like, what the heck is that? My tongue's yeah. burning. Who? Why would anyone? <laughs> oof, that's, you know, that, should, that would be a natural human response, I feel. That's nothing to do with being prejudiced or anything else. That's just like, I'm not accustomed to that. Mm. And you either become accustomed to it or you, or it's not really your cup of tea. But I think there needs to be a better appreciation of just going, mm -hmm. yeah, I like my chicken tikka. Yeah. I do. I like chicken tikka. I do. I like fish and chips. I do. I'm not going to lie. I like it. Yeah. I, I like certain English desserts. I do. <laughs> but, you know, but if I had to pick, if I was going to have one meal, I know what I'd probably pick. It probably would mm -hmm. be Jamaican. It probably would. Because yeah. that's that's what I've been exposed to most. And my mom, unfortunately, was such a great cook. You know, it was it's hard to say no. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, we can make even whatever cuisine we choose, whether it's I told you make an Indian, African, whatever, whatever it is, English food, we can make healthier yeah. versions of those yeah. foods. And most of that health decision isn't whether you're plant-based or not isn't whether you're vegan or not. It's not whether you're, you know, like keto or, or paleo or whatever. That's not the best decision. For most people, it's going back to traditional, less convenient forms of preparation. Yeah. You know, that's usually the better decision. Less processed, less refined, spending a bit more time thinking where this came from, preparing it myself, adding, the, mixing the ingredients myself, cooking yeah. it myself probably eating less because of it and appreciating it more because I put that time and effort in. Yeah. Mm. All of those things, I feel that's what's missing and that's what's less appreciated. Yeah. You know? So I think whether it's food, whether it's physical activity, whether it's improving your sleep quality, all those things that we need, that we know are important, we need better ways to, to address this. And we need to acknowledge the fact that within communities like, like ours, where there is a dis disproportionate problem in certain areas, especially in terms of, of health, what can we do about it? What can mm. we do about this? Because unfortunately, most people make a binary decision. Yeah. And they say, everything Western is bad. All medicine is bad. All drugs are bad. <laughs> you know, the only thing that's good is natural. And then they don't realize that even nature can be toxic, mm. can be dangerous. It's about the dose you know, water is toxic after a certain quantity. You can die because your body will say, this is too yeah. much for me. Water yeah, has yeah. become toxic. I am very passionate about dispelling many of the myths that exist, mm. both in West Africa and in the Caribbean. There is certainly a lot of similarities in some of the things that we believe in that have no basis in any kind of fact at all. Mm. And in worst case scenarios can be really harmful, like yeah. really harmful. My, I lost my sister to cancer 
a few years Sorry ago. To hear that. And I saw the indecisions, many indecisions that she had because of promises made by, oh, you know, you're such and such uncles, brothers, this. They took that herb and cured. Oh, really? Yeah. That's all you need to do. Really. Try it out. Oh, no improvement. Ah, oh, well, yeah, actually, no. It's because you needed to get that bush from over there. That's that, that, you know. And then by the time she realized that these things weren't working, <laughs> there were certain these, you know, medical procedures that she could have taken that may have made a difference. We'll never know. Mm. But she came to that realization herself. Right. She came, free, she navigated that journey of like, no, 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 everything natural, everything. That's what, that's what I need to do. Nature, 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 nature heals. And then kind of going, oh my goodness, why didn't I yeah. make that decision back then? So that does pain me a lot, not just because of my sister, but because I've, I've seen it yeah. with, many, with many people. So yeah, balance, we need more balance. Definitely. Best of both worlds. Thank you for sharing that. That must be really difficult to watch because you can't make people's minds up for them in, in, in that situation or any situation. Um, yes, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it's 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 very tough. And but you know, the silver lining is, you know, the conversations I had with her where she was like, Okay, I want to become more knowledgeable about this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be just fed disinformation. I'm happy that I was there with her in that part of the journey and she felt at ease that at least she knew the sort of position that she was in. Yeah. And she was informed about whatever decision she wanted to make. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's what is is important. So yeah, it, it is. It is tragic, obviously, and distressing. But for, for many of us, when we're in this position, we do have to still question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the motive mm-hmm. of this person telling me this? Mm-hmm. What is the motive of the person who's trying to sell me this product or this particular method? Why haven't I met this person who miraculously cured themselves? Why is it always someone of somebody, somebody, somebody who who I'm never ever, actually ever going to have witness of this? You know, so so. If you start asking those questions, then you realise there may not be any truth or validity yeah. to those statements. Yeah. Do you think it's really sort of within our culture that these things are more prone to happen? Because especially with our culture, mm. you know, when your elders say something, you're more prone to take note, listen, pay attention, engage. Mm. I'm not saying within the English culture there isn't that level of respect or anything like that, but I know for a fact, especially in our household, it's been hammered down. Like when you know when your parents tell you something, you, you do sit down and listen. So, do you think those things are, are more prone in our culture because of that? You know, sort of I traditional so. culture. I I, I, th- I think so, and, and uh, I mean, there's a few things. There are a few problems. One is historically, sometimes people of our heritage have been ill-treated in the health context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's less trust. Yeah. Like, oh, we were tested with that drug, you know, or, you know, it wasn't always done in a benevolent way, or, you know, pro- health progress. Sometimes we were the victims. And so some of that stigma still still exists and, this, mm-hmm. and that distrust. And again, it's healthy to have some of that, but we should also have some of that where it favors our bias as well. Mm-hmm. Because I'll give you a prime example. I just think in life, it's rare that in life that anything is ever a true binary yes or no decision. Like this will always work if you do this. This will never work if you do that. I think there's always some nuance and a mixture of the two. So one classic example is somebody who will say, 
I will never, ever, ever have chemotherapy, ever, because it never works. All it does, it kills you. But somebody can have that view. And they may say, I know somebody had chemo and they died. I know a few people have had chemo and they died. That's the proof right there. Unfortunately, there are many children today who are now adults who had chemotherapy at five years old with mm -hmm. leukemia, who are alive today only because they had chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. So you can't say chemotherapy never works. <laughs> you might say it works in certain instances, certain circumstances, that it doesn't work for everyone. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. That makes a bit more sense. And I think those kind of conversations, even with respect to our elders, we need to have some of those conversations. Mm. Because unfortunately, it doesn't matter about respect if the person that you love makes a decision just based on respect mm. and it's detrimental to them. Like, mm. really? Is that really how we still want to, you know? Yeah. So it's, and it's difficult because I know exactly what you mean. I, I you know, I know exactly how that is. And people have to make their own decisions. You can't mm. force people to do what they don't want to do. Mm. But certainly we need to have some difficult conversations and say, sometimes you've got to say like, look, you know, what if there is a benefit? And these are the risks associated with doing this. Yeah. And that's what you have to think about. There's a, there's a risk associated it's not like if you do this, this will definitely work or not. It's like you will improve your chances if you do this. Yeah. So I give another, an example of cancer, for example. So I know someone within my family. Actually, I'll just, I'll just say, I'll, I'll mention it. My mother, she passed away of cancer this year, a few months ago. I'm right? so sorry. And so she was diagnosed a year after my sister passed in 2017. And... Yeah, and, and I remember I went to every single doctor's appointment with her. And my aunt was diagnosed with cancer, state, late stage cancer, a, a few years before. So my, my aunt decided she was going to do whatever it took. Mm -hmm. She was, I will take every bit of medicine available. She did radiotherapy, she did chemo, she lost her hair, she, she became really frail. She really, really, really struggled. My aunt is still here. And she was given, if you don't do this, you've got six months to live. My mother, on the other hand, who had far more op options available to her for treatment, decided there's certain things I'm not going to do. Right. And so, again, I'm just giving a, a case of two people. And you could argue, you know, that doesn't represent everyone. But mm -hmm. certainly, I feel that my mother made some choices purely because of that cultural belief solely on that and whenever she was presented with anything that could help her medically or scientifically she would just say oh that's science i don't believe in any of that right so she just dismissed every everything you know at the funeral at the funeral someone was discussing and saying if you have cancer like my mother she did the right thing because she didn't succumb to what the NHS wanted for her. But yet there was somebody in the audience, i.e. my aunt, who did and was still alive. But most people yeah. were praising the fact that nature wins. When it doesn't, all, you know, the, the, the evidence is right there. Look, you have somebody here, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, who would not be here if she didn't have that treatment. But yet mm -hmm. you'll dismiss that because nature wins.
and it's a very personal story and you know hopefully no one none of my family are listening <laughs> but i've had but you know i've had that conversation with them pretty frank discussion mm. about this i had that i had a frank discussion with my mother and of course you don't want to have that discussion like mom yeah did you make the wrong this right decision mom i told you so who am i to say that to anyone no no I think that the key is to have the discussion and it saddens me, but it's good to be real about what are the driving forces, what are the influences. It's interesting that somebody felt it appropriate to say that in a kind of in, in at the funeral. And I think the thing is, I think everyone, it, you have, it's your body. You should make your own mm. decision based on, and it should, but it should be an informed decision because yes. if you are coerced into one route or another, you're the one who has to experience the side effects or, yes. or not, you know what I mean? Um, oh, yes. It can't, I don't know, it's really difficult to hear people think that they have to make decisions almost based on kind of cultural norms. It, it's an individual thing, definitely it should be. And it must be so hard yes. and frustrating to support somebody who's making a decision that you perhaps wouldn't make for them, that you'd want them to do actually the opposite. But we need to have more of these conversations within our community, yes. because I wonder, oh, yeah. is it the way that, is is it how the information has been presented and who it's been presented by? Do we need more representation? If your oncologist was a Jamaican oncologist, would that sit better? Would you trust what they're saying more? Because they have that cultural frame of reference. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, really yes. Different. Yes, I totally, that I totally, I totally believe. And, you know, fortunately, I did have access to a black oncologist. And it's interesting because you can have those frank discussions and they will say, you know, the amount of times they're having to, they're trying to have discussions where they're saying, look, you know, I'm treating you as if you are my kin. Yeah. Oh, right. Sorry. You know, you know, if you were my, whatever, my flesh and blood, I would be advising you to do exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. And people are like, no, you know, almost like, well, well, you would say that because you're, yeah. you're part of the system. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I don't really want this to come across as holier than now or... No, it doesn't. It doesn't come across like that at all. It really doesn't come across like that at all. Yeah. If anything, it just shows how embedded those beliefs are and how hard it is to unlearn those behaviours, which is... It's hard. If, if, that, yes. if that trust barrier is broken through lived experience, it's going to take a hell of a lot to change that. And yes, it's yes, difficult. it's really, it's really, really difficult. And 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 even and even for my mother. So my mother agreed to have to some medication, mm -hmm. but years after she should have done. Mm. You know, when she kind of realised, you know, oh, those things aren't working, and that's kind of the problem. It, it's like sometimes we wait until it's too late. And then we yeah. go, okay, what, what's available to, for me now? Now I'm willing to, to listen a little bit more. And, and as you mentioned, Julie, us being informed is really, really important. Unfortunately, most of the spokespersons that are providing information don't always have our best interests at heart. It's as yeah. simple as that. I'm not sure what the solution is. There are many doctors of, of African descent. It's not, it's not like they're underrepresented. There, is a, there are a lot of them. There are a lot more of them now than ever before, right? <laughs> but they're not necessarily having the impact on communities because, as you mentioned, you know, it's embedded. It's part, you know, it's like it's part of, almost part of our DNA. And we've decided we need to make that choice. It's culture or, or not. Yeah. Yeah. And then people around you, even if you were to make the decision, I think peer pressure plays a huge part. 
because you have all these voices saying, yes, 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 you're doing the right thing. You know, that's what I would do. Really? How do you know until you're in that situation? It yeah. takes back to what you were saying before about your own personal choices in life. You have to decide what you do, what your own voice or direction is going to be in, in this situation. Um, yes, yeah. And it's fascinating because obviously you have written and spread the message of like movement being medicine uh, as well. Mm. And I just wonder, how have you found spreading that message within the community? And especially to maybe like older members of our community? Well, again, interesting. So from a culture point of view, and not even culture, as an aspirational point of view, many of the things that denote success mean we're less likely to do certain things. So for example, I'm more likely to have a car. So I'm more likely to spend more time in a car. I'm less likely to be walking. I'm less likely to be going on the tube, for example, right? So I'm less likely to be active in that respect. If I've got an office job, again, that could be seen as successful, right? I'm more likely to be sitting all day. Mm. If I have the time, I might have time to go to the gym. If, you know, but it's going to be the last thing in my day because I've got all these other things to do. If I've got a family, no, I need to get back home to look after my family. I've got, you know, I've got other responsibilities. So if you think about just movement, right, that's going to decline, because mm. society has become more sedentary. Technology has meant we can do things, you know, at our desk or on our phone. Again, it's kind of going back to basics and talking about how good people feel when they do it. And Bob Marley, one of his songs says that once the music hits you, you feel no pain. And this is kind of the thing that we forget. Like you go to a celebration and you'll see the oldest of individuals who will the music will come on they might even be the first ones on the dance floor yes and you're like that person's got a walking stick or they you know they've got like a a walking frame and they've just dropped 30 years off themselves and and they do what you know and they feel good from a scientific point of view right endorphins yeah are released yeah there's a a hormone released which is like a fit one of the feel-good hormones and its purpose is actually to relieve pain, physical yeah. pain and kind of psychological pain, you know, emotional pain. So that's one of the reasons why we feel good when we exercise. Yeah. We feel good when we dance. You know, that's one of the reasons why. And of course, you can overdo it. But for most people, just having that experience of going, I feel alive. I can, yeah. I can do yeah. this. I feel really good about myself. And so there are many opportunities for us to be moving more have nothing yeah. to do with a gym but everything mm-hmm. to do with how can I feel better within myself about myself how can I manage these conditions you know if I've got type 2 diabetes for example mm-hmm. I can help manage my condition just mm-hmm. through physical activity alone and again this is about being informed I was pre-diabetic when I was working in investment banking Why are you? I was pre-diabetic I had very high risk of cardiovascular disease so I was a high risk of, of stroke or heart attack and, okay. and I also had very high blood pressure. And when I spoke to my doctor initially, I was just told straight, ah, oh, well, Afro-Caribbean descent. You know, you, you're high risk of blood pressure, hypertension. And, and that's true. You know, he didn't say, what he said wasn't incorrect in terms of your Afro-Caribbean high elevated risk of, of, of hypertension, right? But what he didn't go on to say, and what I found afterwards, is that I could control my blood pressure mm. through lifestyle choices. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't inevitable. So when he had the conversation with me, it was inevitable. 
Oh, you have high blood pressure. Um, anyone else you know? Yeah, my mother has it as well. And my aunt. Oh, you see? Yeah, there you go. It's inevitable. You're getting older. I- I'm only in my mid-30s. Like, really? Uh, well, yeah, it can happen, even in your, your age. My blood pressure came down to normal 30 to 60 days after I started exercising. Mm-hmm. My cholesterol came down to uh, you know healthy ratios within the same sort of time frame. My pre-diabetes, which was close to full-blown type 2, I was like one marker away, went down to normal. And that's like 15 years ago now. So 14, 15 years from that wow. conversation. So, but again, if we're not informed about this, if we're not told that there are things you can do to help, and yeah. we're not told that it's just about diet, which is one of the things that many people are told, like, oh, yeah, just sort your diet out, you know, mm-hmm. less salts, less carbs, less this, less that, less animal products. If you just do all those things, you, you, you'll sort yourself out. But, but actually, there's a better, in some respects, a better medicine, which is free of charge, mm-hmm. which all of us can do. Whatever our age, whatever our ability, we can all move to some degree and we can feel better and improve our health status by moving more, by moving more vigorously, by moving more intensely, by making sure that we're doing what our bodies were designed to do. So once I realized that personally, that I could avoid the drugs, because that's what I was told I needed, statins, metformin for my pre-diabetes, beta blockers for my blood pressure, and if I'd have taken those, I'd still be taking those now. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I'm sure I'd be dealing with many of the side effects of, do, of mm-hmm. doing that. But the good news is just through lifestyle changes, I've been able to put those at bay. Who yeah. knows how long for? But 15 years on, I don't need statins. I don't need beta blockers. I don't need drugs for my blood sugars. That's just amazing. by being more active. And so my father, who's well into his 70s, he sold his car, has a bike, he what? bikes everywhere, That's exercises every living. day. Yeah, amazing. So, you know, and when I'm talking to him, we're always having those conversations about, you know, dad, so what, you know, are you still exercising? Yeah, 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 you know, I did my, I did my push-ups today and I did my squats and oh, that I'm on my bike. Awesome. So, you know, yeah. And he's really healthy. He's not on any medication. And, you know, sometimes he'd be like, oh, you know, my, my blood pressure's a little high, so I'm going to go on my bike. I'm going to go on my bike later. And so he's aware directly that. how it impacts him. Um, and he's never been into processed food. But, you know, he's a drinker. He smokes. And, you know, I'm like, dad, you know, and he's like, son, <laughs> you know, of course, he's not going to, he's not going to stop. Those, yeah. He's not going to stop doing those things. But he's still aware, he's aware of it. He knows it's not good for him. He, he knows that he should, he should try to, to, to kind of tone that down. But he's also aware of how powerful lifestyle is. Yeah. So he's an inspiration for me. I'm like, exactly. Okay, 100%. It's, it's I want possible. to be a bike in my 70s and beyond. Like, yeah. Amazing. That would be super cool. We should, we should be able to. That links quite nicely to the Melody Magic question then. So what are your hopes and dreams for the Black British culture in the next five to 10 years? And do you have any insight on how we're going to get there? Yes. So, I mean, that is really a tough question. I am quite pessimistic. (laughs) You know, I I do tend to have a kind of dystopian view of things in general. And, um, but, you know, it's always good to have some optimism as well. Yeah. So my answer is, oh yeah, I would hope there is further diversity in the expression of our culture. Mm -hmm. Because in many respects, 
the only things that I seem to be allowed are the fields where we represented quite well. So, you know, in some aspects of entertainment, you know, in, in, in music, for example, I mentioned athletics. There were certain areas where you go, okay, yeah, black culture is being given some representation, but there's all of these other areas which, which, which are still represented, but we don't hear so much about. So we don't hear so much about successful black business men and women. You know, we don't hear so much about black professionals in, in many fields, you know, from barristers to consultants to, to, to all this, you know, that is also an expression of our culture because usually because of the things many people have to do to get there, that's, you know, not because the job itself is cultural specific, but usually the journey is certainly one that is a cultural terrain. So that's where I would hope the next five to 10 years, we see a lot more of that. We have awards, not just the, you know, the MOBOs for music of black origin, but what about awards for black businessmen and women, for academic excellence? I mean, that would be fantastic. I remember reading recently about the youngest child to, to pass, I think, GCSE maths, you know, it's like a, a five-year-old black Briton. Again, many of our children should be aware of that. Yeah, absolutely. What's, what's, what's possible, right? And you know, that's not, and again, that's not an anomaly. That's not just a one-off. There's going to be other examples of that level of excellence. But much of the information is dominated by the negative or the permissible positive, you know, where it's accepted now. So mm -hmm. 30 years ago, it wasn't accepted for black players to play for England. You know, there's no black in the Union Jack. That's what, mm -hmm. that's what I, many people were told back then, but now it's permissible. Now you have black captains. Now you have an overrepresentation in many respects in the Premier League of black players. But what about other areas of life, you know, social and professional life? So hopefully that answers the question. Yeah. And, and, Absolutely, uh, I love that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, well, I can relate to a lot of that stuff as well, namely because one of our core values is definitely about representation and Obviously, growing up, you probably felt the same, if not more. Just not seeing yourself in a lot of the things that were in the mainstream media, mm. in school. I never had a teacher that looked like me or could relate to the things that, you know, that mm. I was potentially feeling at the time. Yes, I was a talkative child. But I often sometimes felt like, why am I always pulled? You know, if I'm talking, I'm talking to somebody else, but you're only you're singling out me here. You know, that kind yes. of, you know, so this element of representation, but like you say, not just in sports or not just in music, but in the things that are just equally as important yeah kind of oh, in all areas yeah in all areas of life for, you know for, for sure and you know I, I know things are changing there are people who are you know like Lenny Henry for example he's championing more diversity not only in front of camera but behind the camera mm -hmm. so that there are going to be more script writers of our persuasion writing our stories and yeah. more producers and and casting agents who will say, hold on a second, let's make sure we have some diversity in casting. And I think, again, that decision needs to be made for true inclusivity and true Correct. diversity, not, not tokenism, not yeah. quotas, you know. It needs to be done in a way which represents the population. So it's as simple as that. You know, I shouldn't feel, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I do remember the last time I went to, to the hospital and the consultant was black. And I was like, oh, you know... <laughs> You know, why? Yeah. Why should that, that should, I shouldn't feel anything at all about that apart from, yes, but it was almost a shock. Mm -hmm. And of course I did feel good about it. Of yeah. course it's good to see representation. But when I spoke to him, 
and I kind of mentioned the fact that, oh, you know, I didn't want to kind of say it's good to see, you know, good to see a brother in that position. <laughs> I didn't want to, you know. But when I spoke to him and he said, he says, Darren, what you don't realise is 50% of the staff here, you know, across, you know, are black at all levels, mm-hmm. from the porters to the nurses to the sisters, midwives, you know. It's there, it may not be visible, yeah. but it's there. In the research, you know, researchers, radiologists and people that you, you may not be seeing face to face, but they're there. But again, you know, if you watch Harby City or, or some other dramas. Don't you watch Harby City, please. But you know, I'm, you know, yeah. you, and again, there is some, you know, there's some good representation there, you know, but you don't want it to be tokenism again. Yeah. And, and you want them to touch on some of the issues. I mean, that's the thing, you know, I, who's the, who's the, the, the one of the actors? Um, uh, I think it's Ghanaian actually, but he's been, He's been like. Uh, He's been in for ages. I know who you mean. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what's his yeah. name? But but um, I mean, he's a fa- I think he's a fantastic actor. He does. He really plays the role well. I used to be a big fan of Harvey City. I, I admit. Uh, but but um, <laughs> but again, it's very rare that they touch on issues that relate to, to yeah. culture or or the prejudice that he certainly would have faced. You know, he would have he would have faced prejudice. Yeah. Certainly, but you you would never know. All you see is this excellent individual doing really well, yeah. out, outperforming most of his peers, yeah. but, but there's no reality associated with that. So, yeah, that, I suppose, you know, it's not just about representation. It's also about realistic representation yeah. and realism about some of the journey. Yeah. And it wasn't just given to them. They grafted. Yeah. 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 They grafted to get there. They had challenges that they, they wouldn't have had. And again, it's not just, you know, same similar for women. Mm-hmm. Again, it, you know, like the top female consultants in that show, rarely do you see the issues that they certainly have faced with sexism. I mean, come on. You, we know it's happened. Yeah. We, yeah. It happens all of the time. But it's almost good enough just to say, well, oh, look, we've got. We've got the woman there, so we're, we're kind of saying it's not really a problem. We're seeing them as equals, right? But that's not the whole story. It's no, what yeah. about the backstory? What about how they get to? What about what they face every single day? Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, uh, um, and and probably just to end to, to mention that point, that, to that last point is, I remember once, if you don't have these conversations, if you don't hear about people's experiences, you may just be ignorant of it mm-hmm. happening. So somebody that I, that I knew who was a s- senior director of an organization, like the most senior, right? And she had, it was a multinational and she was a director in one, in one area of the business. And she went to a meeting where people didn't know each other. And she's at this meeting, she was the only female and the rest were, were men. And she was asked to make teas and coffees. She was Jeez. asked to take the notes, minutes of the meeting, because they assumed she yeah. was like the secretary or the PA. And it was only when the meeting started that she was kind of like, actually, I'm the most senior person here. How embarrassing. And, and you know, but if she hadn't have told me that, I would have never expected that could have happened. Because I'm like, oh, you know, you're so senior, like yeah. you're doing so well for yourself. Yeah. Right. But this happens. And as a yeah. man, I need to be told about some of these stories so that I can consider, ah, oh, okay, that's the reality for certain people. It's never ha- that has never happened to me mm-hmm. because I'm not female, but I certainly want to be able to empathize and to understand. Yeah. And some of those stories need to be told. So yeah, I know it was a long answer to the <laughs> to <laughs> where I want to see 
what I want to see happening, but I hope that happens. Yeah, no, yeah, me too. Thank you. We could speak to you all day. We really could. You're amazing. And you're such an amazing advocate as well within your sphere of health, wellness, movement, nutrition, because, you know, I'm sure there aren't as many black faces or prominent black faces in your industry. So you're really, you know, you're representing for us all. It's amazing what you're, you're doing and achieving and you're impacting people all over. It was one of my friends who told me about you and the impact that your decks are having within her work environment. And uh, it's just that thing of black excellence is everywhere. It's in the everyday and it's really important to acknowledge it and to celebrate it. So we just really thank you for what you're doing and uh, oh, you exemplify you. everything that you talk about. It's just, it's wonderful. Um, so how can our listeners get in touch with you and uh, yeah, if you're happy to share your social media handles or your website yeah so the best place is primalplay.com so that's my website where I blog about living a playful play-based lifestyle I do have lots of science and evidence based there as well as some practical hints and tips videos and examples of activities you can do for kids of all ages four to 94 as I like to say <laughs> My social media handles, I am known as a fitness explorer. So at fitness explorer on Twitter or Instagram. Instagram is probably where I reside the most. You can search for me, Daryl Edwards, D-A-R-R-Y-L Edwards on, on YouTube, on Google. And fortunately, I do tend to appear first if you search for me. Might as well mention some of the, my freebie stuff. So I have a couple of free ebook downloads on my website. It will only cost you your, your email. That's all it costs. So go to the website, sign up to the mailing list, and you can get a, a few downloads free of charge. And then if you want to kind of find out a little bit more about what I do, I do have other books and other materials for you to experience as well. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've learned so much today, you know, and I'm the type of person that um, as soon as I hear stuff, I recommend all the time. So you'll have lots of people listening and just sort of spreading the word by mouth because you are, like Julie said, you, everything that you encompass in terms of the brand definitely felt it today. So authentic. You're so passionate. I love it. So thank you so much oh, for being so well, honest and sharing so thank much. Thank you. No, thank you. I mean, I know it's probably a, a lot longer than we ex- expected, but um, I suppose the, the last thing I'd like to say was for, certainly thank you both, both Steph and Julie, really amazing hosts. Thank you for reaching out to me in the first place. And I would certainly say for anyone who's starting their own business or working for themselves like, like myself, is we rely on the goodwill of others mm-hmm. for those individuals to be the sales force, the marketing force, the people representing brands, because I don't have a huge team doing that work for me. So I do rely on that goodwill, on that word of mouth. People saying, hey, I'm using this and it's changing my life. Maybe you want to consider using this as well. So, um, so yeah, I really appreciate, uh, appreciate that in any way, shape or form. Thank you so much. It's our pleasure, honestly. Absolutely our pleasure. But So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for everyone that's listening and we'll catch you again next time. Take care, everyone. <laughs>